אתם יורים בי מהרתק. כשאנחנו מסתערים על יעד בצבא, הם כולם אמורים לדעת את הסיפור הזה. יש חיפוי, הוא יורה על היעד, יש מי שמסתער על היעד. אני מסתער על היעד. הם יתבלבלו. במקום לעזור לי או לחפות על היעד, הם יורים לי בגב. אני לא מסיט את העיניים לרגע מהמטרה שבשמה נכנסתי לפוליטיקה, זה לשרת את מדינת ישראל. It's Election Overdose, episode 9, recorded on February the 25th, which means, that's right, just 26 days left to go until election night, when all will be revealed. That's assuming the exit polls get it right this time. And with me is someone who has had her heart broken so many times by wrong exit polls. I mean, of course, my co-host, Dalia Shendin. Hi, Dalia. Hi, only a few times, really. Are you stealing yourself for another night on which the Prime Minister of the polls will celebrate, only for another Prime Minister, this time the real one, to emerge the next day? I am emotionally prepared for anything at this point. Good. With us is also this week's special guest, Israel's former Consul General to New York City and currently number 11 on New Hope's Knesset candidate list, Danny Dayan. How goes the campaigning, Danny? I think it's going quite well. I think that uh, as... Uh, a good good sports team we will reach our summit our highest point on uh, March 23rd we'll talk with you about that in depth in a moment so here are the main events in this week of the campaign which I have to say hasn't been a particularly eventful one as campaigns go what was your big event Dalia well I agree with you there's always this part of the campaign where things seem to sink a little bit somewhere in the middle and then they pick up towards the end I'm not sure if I would say this is the biggest news of the week but I was struck by this letter that a bunch of security figures and generals wrote to Benny Gantz asking him to leave the race uh, it was sort of dramatic I don't know if it's really important or just a minor headline but you Why are we discussing it if it's not totally important? I think that's because it sort of turned Gantz into somebody who looked or at least portrayed that he was a victim. It looked like they were ganging up on him after all that he went through in the last three election campaigns and all that he put himself through in this government. He reacted with this sense of victimization. And it just reminded me of, of yet again, another attempt to kind of co-opt Netanyahu's One of his uh, best strategies, which is to turn himself into a victim of political persecution, somehow connect with the voters who are aggrieved and feel marginalized, and it works for Netanyahu, but it doesn't work for anybody else. And so when I saw Gantz kind of reacting to this as the sense of, oh, they're, they're, they're ganging up on me, I just thought it doesn't look good. It just, it doesn't work. You can't try to take Netanyahu's tactics, appropriate them for yourself, and I don't think it's going to have any impact. Although I think there is a lot of talk about Gantz eventually dropping out of the race. Well, I, I think that this letter may prove to, to have been a big mistake by those 130 generals and former security establishment figures because they are Benny Gantz's tribe. They're his family. Benny Gantz is a man who spent most of his life in uniform, and these are people who have served by him. Some of them were his commanders. Some of them he commanded. And... I think that he's feeling now so rejected. I mean, there could not be a bigger insult to Benny Gantz, who was the chief of general staff of the IDF. So he's someone who's been at the top of the pyramid, and now he feels that his people have abandoned him. I mean, he used the most emotional, militaristic term, saying that they were shooting me in the back instead of giving me covering fire. And this, this type of insult, I think, is, is a deal-breaker. And for him, he now has to prove that them wrong and I think this personal insult may be a reason for him to actually stay in the race and 
these 130 very clever generals have... So the opposite of what they intended, have, you think? I think there's a good chance. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of our first episode when David Halbfinger, who was then the New York Times bureau chief, said that there is a striking level of personal humiliation involved in Israeli politics. It's sort of a, a Shakespearean tragedy of Gantz. He started out at the top, the Great White Hope, and now he's in this really sad position. But one thing that interesting that's happened since that letter, at least in one of the polls, Gantz has actually gone up to five seats, which is slightly higher above the threshold. Is it a poll that we should be taking seriously, or is it just an outlier? Well, since you've given me a segue to talk about polls, let me just start out by saying this is a maddening campaign for a pollster, because every single poll that comes out every couple of days, I look at how little has changed. There's no trajectory for any party. Everything has stabilized. All shifts are within one or two seats now. And when you say blue and white seems to have gained a seat, well, they went up to five from four. It's the second time in the last uh, two weeks that they've had five. So that's not really a major change. They've had numerous polls that had them at five or above since the elections were called. It's not a trajectory. I see it as a matter of five or six people in a survey, so a sampling variation. And so, first of all, I wouldn't necessarily assume that it means anything. But you may find this surprising. I listen to voices beyond polls. Numbers are not the only thing that counts. So a colleague of mine said to me this week, you know, I feel some momentum for Gantz after an interview he gave. So uh, you're talking about a pollster colleague? No. No. Well, actually, it's a colleague in the field of public opinion research. uh, But we were just bantering about the election. So a professional but not a pollster. A professional who was just talking about her personal environment. Okay. Her family. And I said, started to say, you know, these anecdotes never add up to anything in the quantitative studies. But I still take those voices seriously because sometimes people pick up on social trends before the surveys. So I can't say no, but I, I don't see any momentum really in the numbers yet. But there is such a thing as a sympathy vote. People sometimes do vote out of this shared feeling of a grievance. People who voted for blue and white the last time, people who believed in Gantz, and even if they were disappointed, there may be some people who say, you know what, he's a good guy, he's done his best, he made some mistakes, maybe we'll still vote for him. I mean. You think that could be enough to, p- to push it's him a, over the threshold? It's a consideration. I'm, I just wonder if the other considerations the voters have, like making sure their votes aren't wasted if he goes under, will be more important. Well, we'll see that in three and a half weeks. Another interesting event this week that I'm not sure it was consequential was Netanyahu's request or demand, we don't know how forceful he was, of the parties openly supporting him that their leaders sign a pledge of allegiance to him, a request that the leaders of Shas and United Torah Judaism quickly fulfilled, but Bezalel Smotrich, leader of the ultra-nationalist, Jewish supremacist, and homophobic list, refused to sign. What happened there, do you think, Dalia? Let's remind listeners that this is not the first time Netanyahu has used what I consider to be a parlor trick, a gimmick. He did it ahead of the March 2020 elections. He created this this entire uh, right-wing religious loyalist bloc, I mean loyalist to Netanyahu, after the September 2019 elections. Uh, And I think he's doing it for two reasons. One, the reason we always go back to with Netanyahu, and that's his iron law, which is always lead in the headlines, always be the one setting the agenda. Uh, And number two, I think he knows that voters are doing significant strategic coalition calculations uh, when they decide whom to vote for. And I think Netanyahu wants to prove that a vote for the anti-Netanyahu coalition, uh, parties that presumably want to go into a coalition together against Netanyahu, I think he wants to prove that they can't do it by saying, I have the commitment of these right-wing and religious parties to go with me. There's no negotiating ground for the opposition parties to work with them. Therefore, if you vote for one of the opposition parties, I mean, in quotation marks, opposition parties, 
they will be forced to go into a government with further left parties. And that, of course, gloms on to Likud's major campaign, which is to brand everybody who's not in Likud's bloc as radical extremist left. Even Danny Diana, Victor Lieberman and Gidon Saar, and right. even Naftali Bennett, if he chooses not to join Netanyahu after the election. But what's interesting, I think, with this letter, with this pledge of it, is that Shas and United Torah J- Judaism rush to sign, despite the fact that they actually do have other options. I mean, Danny represents a party which claims that they will be able to bring the ultra-Orthodox into a coalition. And for uh, the record, he's nodding. He's he not, is he nodding. He's nodding and even smiling. And Gidon Saar claims that, they, that he can bring the, the ultra-Orthodox into a coalition which is not led by Netanyahu. Whereas Smotrich, on the other hand, doesn't really have an alternative to Netanyahu. I don't think that there is any permutation of a non-Netanyahu coalition where enough of the other members would agree to sit with him. Perhaps uh, Yamina have said that they would, but certainly not Yeshatid and Labour Emirates who would be necessary for such a coalition. So I think Smotrich, even though he doesn't have a choice, perhaps actually we're seeing his anger and his peak and not having such a choice. We know that Smotrich is perhaps ideologically close to Itamar Benkvil, the leader of, uh, of Jewish power. Why perhaps? Good point. But we also know that he can't stand him on a personal level. And I think Smotrich still resents the way Netanyahu forced them into a shotgun marriage. And he's showing that now in this little inconsequential, perhaps a very revealing display of independence. I just want to make one quick point, which is that the voters uh, in Israel have heard election after election, not just in these last three, but for decades, promises about who will or won't go into which coalition after the election. And they've seen all of those promises broken. And they've seen any number of gimmicks. I mean, let's just remind people about how Amir Peretz shaved his famous mustache to prove he wouldn't go into a coalition with Netanyahu. I mean, this kind of thing happens all the time. And I personally think it is very alienating to the voters because it's basically saying this is all about our little internal clubs and decisions and not about you. So you think that politicians should say, yes, we'll sit with Benger in a coalition? I think they should say, <laughs> we will wait to hear what the voters have to say. And there have also been a couple of electoral legal matters this week. The Supreme Court is currently discussing the Central Election Commission's decision to disqualify number seven on Labour's list, Ibtisam Akhana, who we discussed in our last episode, and we're expecting in the verdict next week the Supreme Court to probably allow her to continue in the race and to disqualify her disqualification. And there was another intriguing decision of the CEC to disqualify over 100 people who had registered to be vote counters on election night. Why is the CEC being so picky, Dalia? So I think it's really not a matter of being picky, but to understand this story, we need to explain that there are certain people who think it would be a great idea to import not only American consultants, but U.S. conspiracy theorists about voter fraud. Imtir Tzu is uh, an extreme nationalist group, and they've embraced the idea that there will be fraud, and they better start laying the groundwork to convince the voters of that right now. The Central Election Committee normally invites regular citizens to register to be poll watchers, uh, like in most uh, democracies. And when they posted the call, which they did on the Internet, like everything else, somebody leaked the link in advance to certain Imtir Tzu activists who then rushed, uh, flooded the link to sign up. And the Central Election Committee had to reject them for foul play. I think it's legitimate. Well, we'll see how they find another way to air their conspiracy theories on the day after the election. And do you think this will grow? Do you think this campaign will take off? I think it, I think it will, and I think we've been seeing it for the last two years already, because let's not forget the very first election in this series, the, the first election of 2019, Netanyahu was denied a majority because Naftali Bennett's uh, party then did not cross the threshold by a very, very small margin of 1,400 votes. And we've been hearing ever since 
from various mouthpieces of the Prime Minister, including his own son, talk about how this was all down to uh, fraud by Arab voters. And of course we remember the cameras in the ballot uh, stations. Course, no, this, this is certainly uh, the stage is being set for a battle over the legitimacy of this election if it doesn't go into Niao's way. There's been another, I think, very important development this week, and it's a ceasefire between Yamina's Naftali Bennett and New Hope's Gidon Sal. Last week, they spent a lot of time sniping at each other, they and their party colleagues, and accusing each other of plans to defect Netanyahu after the election. This week, they're no longer fighting. Instead, they're ganging up together on Yair Lapid, who they both say can't leave the next government under any condition because, wait for it, He's a left-winger. Go ask left-wingers if they think that's true. Which is why we have the perfect guest today to discuss these internal machinations in the right wing. Danny Diane isn't just number 11 on New Hope's list. He's also dabbled in the past in Likud and Jewish home, Bennett's party before he founded Yamina. Danny may be now a member of a party sworn to replace Netanyahu, but he was appointed by that very same Netanyahu five years ago as Consul General to New York City. And of course, before that, he served for six years as chairman of the Settlers' Yesha Council. So thanks for coming on Election Overdose, Danny. Thank you for having me. So why are Saar and Bennett so busy fighting Lapid rather than sticking to what they promised to do and replace Netanyahu? I don't think that's the case. Not at all. I think that uh, our campaign is uh, concentrated in two main things. One, explaining why Netanyahu shouldn't continue to be prime minister. And the second, why Charles uh, is the right person to replace him. Actually, the only person that has a serious chance to replace him. I haven't seen in our campaign, at least, uh, any attacks on Yair Lapid, not at all. Uh, on the contrary, we see as Yair Lapid as a, a senior member in a future government. Lapid uh, can be a senior member, but... For political reasons, not for personal reasons, he will not be able to form a coalition. The only leader that will have a chance to form a coalition in the next Knesset will be someone that is uh, uh, to the right of the center. And the only one, basically, that can do it is uh, Gidon Saar. So it, we are not disqualifying Yair Lapid because of his ideology or because of his personality. We simply think that uh, Yair Lapid has not a p- the political capability to form a government. That's it. But, Tony, I want to ask you, you know, there's a lot of talk among the Israeli right wing about making sure that the majority rules in a democracy. And I have my criticism of that approach. But let's look at the polls. Gidon Saar and New Hope is polling at 13 seats solidly. Ye- 13 Lapid, to 15. Uh, in the last two weeks, it's been a solid 13. In the last Maybe two you weeks, have internal no, polls. No, 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 no. Mariv, uh, uh, in Mariv, it was 15. I look at the average. Okay. okay. So, so I said 13 to 15. The average may be 14. Sure. But uh, but the truth is that uh, Yair Lapid is polling That's very, right. very steadily at 18. So isn't, isn't it not a bit disrespectful to what could be, you know, a million voters who support Lapid's party to say, oh, we've blocked him as prime minister? No, no, not at all. I mean, uh, you remind me of the demagogical uh, uh, saying by Netanyahu and his cohort that uh, we are uh, boycotting uh, uh, his voters. Not at all. Uh, it's a political question. It's not a mathematical question. There is a political question in a Knesset in which uh, roughly, I assume, 80 Knesset members at least will be to the right of the center. I think only a leader that comes from that block will be able to form a government. Again, it's not mathematics, it's politics. In the Israeli parliament where we've seen prime ministers with very small number of seats forming a government, we haven't yet seen 
a prime minister forming government with just 14 or 15 seats. I mean, that does seem well, to be... Well, first of all, uh, we, we are talking polls. Uh, as I said in my uh, introductory remark, uh, we are uh, preparing our sprint uh, in the final lap of uh, this electoral campaign. And I think that yesterday something happened. Just, um, to, just to clarify yeah, to viewers, today is Thursday. Yesterday We're recording Wednesday. Wednesday yeah. And Danny, I think, is talking about what was said by Saar and, no, by, I think and by, by Bennett. No, by Bennett. By Bennett. When Bennett yesterday said that he will not be part of a government uh, led by Yair Lapid, the dust, I would say, started to settle. And when the, the dust finally settles, we will see very clearly the situation. And the situation is, is crystal clear. I mean, it's either Netanyahu with the religious parties, including uh, Smotrich and Bengvir and the Haredim and uh, uh, Naftali Bennett, probably even uh, another religious party, the Islamist list of uh, Mansour Abbas, uh, gather uh, uh, 61 seats. In that case, yes, we will continue to see Benjamin Netanyahu in Balfour Street. If that doesn't happen, then Gidon Saar is the only person that has the political ability to form a, a, a coalition. More than that, I assume that in that case, Gidon Saar will have more than one option to form a government. I heard your interesting discussion about the letter that the ultra-Orthodox party signed and Smotrich did not sign, by the, the way. Pledge of, the Pledge uh, of Allegiance. By the way, uh, Smotrich did sign it in his surplus agreement with, true. with Netanyahu. That's repeating Netanyahu's line. <laughs> but, but it's, that's but a, it's no, true. That's true. It says there but, that... But, uh, yeah, uh, just, to, uh, just to explain to our listeners, sorry, that in the excess or surplus vote, agreement between uh, Smotrich's religious Zionism and Netanyahu's could it says quite clearly that religious Zionism commits for the entire 24th Knesset to only support a government led That's by right. Netanyahu. Now, my interpretation of that is very different from yours. I think that, think about it, from Netanyahu's point of view, it was a very bad PR move. I mean, those are not very popular parties in the general electorate. So why did he do it? He did it because he's afraid. He knows that most probably he will not be able to gather 61 Knesset seats, and he wants to hold them tight, close to him, in order they don't go to Saar. So basically what Netanyahu did with that letter, he prepared the ground for a fifth election. I want to ask you, you know, you may not realize this, but you are also here, not only as a politician, but as a representative of the right-wing camp in general in Israel. I, I must uh, admit, Dalia, I am not uh, very fond of the word uh, right-wing. You know, uh, my, That's what I'm here to ask you. One of my political mentors is Menachem Begin. Uh, Menachem Begin never used the word right-wing. Uh, he called his parties, Herut, uh, later Gachal or Herut, uh, a national liberal party, and I prefer much more that uh, denomination, but, you know, for the sake of brevity, we will use right-wing. But that's actually really what I want to ask you. I mean, you have a history of being involved in the Yesha Council, and on the other hand, you have made statements welcoming uh, reform and conservative Jewish rabbis uh, if New Hope gets into office. Uh, you've also said that you would rather be in a government with Lapid and Merav Michaeli than Netanyahu. What does this tiny little label, which is so problematic, mean to Israelis today? Because 50% of Israelis, nearly 60% of Jewish Israelis, identify as right-wing. What do well, you think it well, means? Well, first of all, I think that the, the important thing that happened when Gidon Saar uh, announced the establishment of New Hope is that he shattered the paradigm. 
he shattered the paradigm that if you are what you call right wing, then you also have to uh, support uh, Benjamin Netanyahu personally and in all his policies. And uh, that was shattered by Tsar. Uh, in respect to myself, uh, I, uh, yes, I am a staunch uh, uh, Zionist, a staunch, I would even say, a maximalist Zionist. What does that mean? Um, maximalist. I, I support uh, uh, what, again, I don't like the, the, the denomination, what is usually called Greater Israel. I think, again, is the, is the wrong name to. What to should call it be it. called? Then tell uh, us. The, 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 in- the integrity of uh, the land of Israel. The, the, but we understand what I mean. Eretz Israel Hashlema. I oppose the establishment of uh, a Palestinian state between the Mediterranean and the Jordan. On the other hand, I am a staunch uh, liberal, and I don't see any uh, contradiction between those two. You mentioned one aspect of my being liberal. I am also a a strong supporter. I have been for many years uh, a strong supporter of LGBTQ rights and many other liberal issues that I embrace uh, strongly. One of the things that really characterize your time as Consul General in New York is that you, I think, surprised a lot of uh, a lot of local, many liberal and democratic Jews by the ease in which you engage with them. They were expecting some hardcore ideological settler who they really have nothing to talk about with. That wasn't the case, and I think you've been praised for that in in, in many places, including on the pages of Haaretz. And you did this guilty as charged. Yeah, and you did this despite serving in the U.S. during the Trump administration, where it perhaps would have been even more comfortable just to. Go with the flow. Uh, and On election night in November 2016, I immediately knew when I saw the first projections that the job of my colleague Ron Dermer in Washington became much easier and my job became much tougher. <laughs> and one of the issues that we're, we're not talking about enough, I think, in this election is what kind of a relationship will the next Prime Minister of Israel, or assuming it still is Netanyahu than the current Prime Minister Israel have with the new Biden administration. Why do you think it's not coming up in the election? Do you think Israelis aren't really concerned anymore by that? Yeah, I think that probably is not one of the issues. In the COVID era, uh, uh, domestic issues uh, have much more importance than any other issue. By the way, the same happens in uh, the United States. But yes, Netanyahu has uh, on his shoulders a burden that uh, Saad does not have. Uh, the burden of being identified so closely with the Republican Party, and not only with President Trump, even uh, uh, the the accusations, uh, right or wrong, that in 2012 he endorsed implicitly Mitt Romney uh, and other uh, accusations of that uh, kind. Uh, It's interesting because when I was Consul General in New York, the three main sectors that I dealt with, I cannot say that I had the full backing uh, of the then Prime Minister and Foreign Affairs Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. I don't think that they did have his full backing on my relationship with the liberal Jews. I don't don't think I had his full backing in my relations with Democrats. And I don't think I have his full backing in my uh, outreach to minorities in America, Latinos and uh, African-Americans. So, so you said you don't think perhaps you could reveal now that you ever heard displeasure from him? Well, um, not on the last two, not in the Democrats and, uh, 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 and the minorities, though I did feel uh, a lack of uh, interest uh, in those two. Uh, yes, I did have my uh, share of uh, clashes even with the Prime Minister 
regarding uh, the liberal denominations of Judaism, especially in the days of the abolition of the freezing of the Kotel uh, uh, arrangement. Mm -hmm. Getting back to this big camp called the right, and I completely accept your, uh, you know, emphasizing that it's an unfairly short kind of shorthand. But it's, again, when I do survey research and I ask people how they self-identify, and we do have about half of the electorate, over close to 60% of Jews, who agree with that definition. Could you tell us something about what are the disagreements within that broad camp of right-wingers? What are the fissures or cleavages that within the right you see there's really uh, a need to work uh, well, or at least to disagree? Well, it depends uh, how uh, wide you define that camp. Uh, for instance, if we take on one hand, and then we, they won't take the, the easy case, uh, Bengvir, but uh, I will take uh, Bezalel Smotrich, for instance, and uh, Gidon Saar or myself. Uh, for sure, there are a, a, a huge difference in many issues including in issues in which we are supposed to agree, like the conflict with the Palestinians. And the, uh, but for sure, in, in, uh, we, we are, uh, as I said, uh, as much as we are what in uh, Hebrew we call leume, national, if you want to call it nationalist, I won't uh, completely disagree. But uh, for sure, uh, we are no less than that. We are liberals. What about within, like, let's say, completely domestic You will not issues. hear from Gidon Saar or myself a saying like, uh, I wouldn't like, I, would, I don't want my wife to be in the same uh, uh, maternity uh, room with uh, with an Arab. Yeah, okay, uh, but that's that's low hanging fruit. What about okay. what, what, about, what about what about protecting uh, the Supreme Court? Angel read my mind. I can assure you that uh, New Hope doesn't keep in its uh, storage rooms D nine a bulldozer in order to level uh, uh, the Supreme Court like uh, some Knesset member. Moti Yogev, uh, Yogev uh, lately of Jewish home. Uh, Why go that far? Well, let's talk about the previous justice minister. That uh, doesn't mean that uh, we uh, do not uh, endorse uh, uh, some reforms uh, and even uh, important reforms in the uh, judicial system. Reforms um, designed to weaken the power of the Supreme Court and no, the judiciary? No, no, no. no. On the, I think that in the contrary. But uh, yes, we, look, uh, I, I can now speak for myself. I have been for many, many years, for many decades, uncomfortable uh, with the fact that uh, uh, Supreme Court justices elect their peers or are members of they the They are elect. members of the they committee, like most yeah, other yeah, countries, yeah. like most other yeah, countries probably, that have judicial I, 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 Probably it, be, it comes from my being, uh, you know, my undergraduate is in computer science. Uh, probably uh, in computer science, we call it an infinite loop. We are coming to make reforms. We are not coming to, to destroy. We are not coming to harm. And, you know, Dalia, one of the words that uh, I love most uh, and it comes from my uh, uh, being a, a disciple of uh, Jabotinsky, is the word Hadar. Hadar. Which every time I write a piece about the right-wing ideology, I think, how am I going to translate I, I don't know. Uh, it's something between dignity and, and, and the gentlemanship. Decorum. Or, uh, decorum, probably. 
and I can assure you that uh, all those reforms that we believe should be implemented, like, for instance, uh, splitting the, the job of the Attorney General uh, from uh, into a, a, a legal advisor to the government and prosecutor, uh, things like that, we will do it with decorum. And we came here to, main, to, to heal, to maintain a dialogue and not to split and to destroy the old world. I'm trying to refrain from saying, ah, you mean the elegantiut, because that's an inside joke. Yeah. Thank you, Danny, so much. You've given us a lot of food for thought. And I think it's time for Dalia's favorite moment of the week. The thing is, it's not really a jingle. And actually, I didn't even know it before this week, but when I found it, I warn you, it's a little bit weird, but I knew it was the right jingle. This video, inexplicably, has a cat puppet at the beginning playing a synthesizer and saying the following bizarre words. They don't care. They answer to no one. And this time, we, the animals, voting in the Knesset only for the Green Party. Which I remember when I first, the first time I saw it, I thought this is another kind of Green Party. You are kidding. You saw this video before I brought it to this show? Because I did not, I, I had not seen it. I can't answer for what happens in late night going down rabbit holes. That is scary. It was a 2015 campaign for the Green Party. Now, never mind that I like it because it reminds me of Animal Farm and we're living in a rather Orwellian age. But this week, I kind of do wish the animals had voted for the Greens because this week Israel experienced one of the worst ecological disasters in its history and it really has been dominating the news. It's not necessarily Israel's fault. What we know up until now is that an unidentified vehicle, the investigations are currently under gag order, spilled a terrible, horrific amount of oil or tar far off Israel's shores, but close enough that the tar slathered itself all over these beautiful beaches. I say it's not necessarily Israel's fault because the environment ministry is taking some heat for not spotting the spill sooner, cleaning it up before it got to the shores. A gigantic whale died and its carcass washed up on Israel's shore. And volunteers have been working all week to pick the tar out of the sand and try to save these tiny sea turtles covered in sludge. The political point of all this, why am I saying all this, is that compared to some Western European countries who have strong, successful green parties, sometimes very influential in government, and even in the U.S., you have one party that stands pretty powerfully for environmental issues, fighting climate change, etc. In Israel, although we have, you know, 7,000 parties, the Green Party never gets into Knesset. And I've often thought to myself over the years in my zoom-out analysis of the Israeli political map and how it breaks down into left, right, and center parties that are so powerfully dominated by ideas about the conflict and security. I have sometimes thought to myself, you know, when an environment party, when a green party in Israel passes the threshold and gets into Knesset, that's how I'll know that Israel is making political decisions based on normal considerations and not actually dominated by the conflict. So far, no chance. Which is true. On that positive note. And that's it for episode nine of Election Overdose, brought to you by Haaretz. You can hear us on our Haaretz.com website, where you'll find everything you need to know to figure out this election. And you can hear us as well on your preferred podcast provider. It's time to thank our special guest this week, Danny Diane, our producer, Yantan Manevich, who arrived in a very fetching Purim disguise, something uh, between, a, between a, a doctor 
and the cross-channel swimmer. I'm still trying to work out. Most who importantly, it is. he is the only one in the studio who's dressed up. So we're bad. Well, that is true. We're bad. And that was my co-host Dalia Shenny. Thank you to you as well for bringing a sense of order and decorum. Decorum, our favorite almost, word. Almost Jabotinsky and Hadar to the proceedings today. And most of all, thank you, dear listener. If you're celebrating the merry festival of Purim, be sure to drink as the rabbis tell us until you can't tell the difference between Benny Millet and Yao and Mirav Michaeli. But please drink responsibly and socially distance. Preferably alone. Or with a significant other. We are under Purim lockdown. Let's just remind that our That is true. Uh, Purim, special Purim nightly curfew at the end of this week. Meanwhile, Purim Sameach, Shabbat Shalom from the Arab studio in Tel Aviv. <laughs>